Hello, and welcome back to the SACUS podcast, Making Adjustments, where we take a thoughtful dive into an element of culture or a current event that could benefit from a few healthy adjustments. If you're new here, SACUS is the Sexual Assault Counseling and Information Service, and we serve survivors of sexual violence, as well as their significant others in the Eastern Illinois area. It is our mission to end sexual violence in society, and we recognize that intersections of identities and different backgrounds and experiences all contribute to a culture of violence and oppression. And fittingly enough, that is exactly what we will be talking about today. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you stick around for episode two, Justice for All. If you are familiar with our agency or probably any other rape crisis agency, you have likely heard or seen the phrase at some point that we welcome and serve all survivors regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, origin, gender identity, language, ability, or any other identity factor. Maybe that was obvious to you before you heard it. Why wouldn't we serve everyone? Well, we do want to reaffirm that for anyone who was confused or found it unclear, and to say that it's less about who we serve and more about how we serve. So for us to be effective in helping every client that comes to SACUS, we have to accept that there is not a one-size-fits-all way to heal people who have experienced sexual assault. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Every person who walks through our doors has endured widely varying challenges, and we want to serve them all well and equally to the best of our ability. It also needs to be said that people are marginalized, and some individuals don't have the privilege of inherently feeling like they will be welcomed at every restaurant, business, healthcare facility, or any other building they enter. So we just want to make it clear off the bat that they are are not only welcome here, but that we will do everything within our power, whether it be through time, resources, or education, to provide to the specifications of their needs and identity. So, some buzzwords usually come up in discussions when referring to these ideas. It could be words like justice, ethics, inclusion, intersectionality, And two big ones are equity and equality, which we will be discussing a little more in depth today. If you have been on social media or read the news or had a conversation with pretty well any other human being in the past year, you have probably heard the terms equity and equality and really knowing not just what those things mean, but what they look like when put into practice can help us to look at our systems and policies and ways of doing things and see if they truly are effective for everyone. These definitions of the terms can seem complicated or multi-threaded and hard to understand, but to put it simply, equality is treating people or maybe equipping people equally, and what that may look like in action is giving everyone the same thing, whether it be resources, time, money, anything. And the idea is that if everyone gets the same thing, then all will be fair and right in the world. 
But the problem with that is that not everyone needs the same thing to be successful. This is where equity comes in. Equity looks at the unique experiences of the individual and adjusts treatment of that person based on their needs to ensure that they have the same opportunities as anyone else. Let's take a quick look at an example involving two people. So both have the same basic need for food. One lives in an apartment across the street from the local grocery store. And the second person lives 25 miles from the nearest grocery store and they don't have access to a vehicle. Equality might give them both a bus stop by their house for the tram to the grocery store. But the person who lives across the street really doesn't need a tram to go to the store because they're able to walk or bike there. Equity, on the other hand, would provide transportation to the store for the person who lives 25 miles away, thereby ensuring that they have just as equal an opportunity to access food as the person living across the street from the store. So, why does it matter that we consider all of these different identity factors? Well, let's try a little exercise. Imagine you are at your favorite park. Parks were created for community recreation. They are supposed to be fun places that bring people together. Now think about what your perfect park would include. Would it have a swing set? A playground? Uh, Maybe a specific kind of tree? Mine would probably have a lot of pretty flowers. I think that I'd want a pond or some sort of water feature um, with benches around it. So once you have your idea of a perfect park, start thinking about why you chose the things that you did to include. Did you only have to think about the things that you wanted in the park because you liked them? Or was it because you needed them in order for the park to be enjoyable to you at all? Try imagining the perfect park again, but keep one identity factor in mind as you do it. So for this example, I'm going to use ability. Does your park have sidewalks wide and smooth enough for a wheelchair to easily glide along the pavement? How much of the playground equipment would be enjoyable or convenient for someone who was in a wheelchair or someone who was blind or hard of hearing? Is there a bridge over a pond or water feature that everyone could cross? Are there places that someone who wasn't able to climb a ladder or stairs could access? Are there informative signs? Um, And can those signs be read by everyone? What we are considering here is accessibility. We want to ensure that everyone can access the park. Everyone can use it. Everyone can enjoy it. That's what it's there for, right? So with that in mind, how then can you make small adjustments to that perfect park that you'd already imagined in your head that would make it better um, and include those people whose abilities may differ from yours. 
This is the Making Adjustments podcast, and this is our goal, to start thinking about these type of things critically and consider what and who we are neglecting in our public service institutions, what we might do to fix it, and how we will implement that adjustment, right? So back to our example then, what ideas do you have for adjustments? My perfect park um, had a big flower garden that people could walk through. And in my head, I first pictured the path um, made of mulch, but there's really no reason that it couldn't be something else, like the pour-in-place rubber um, that some playgrounds use, or even concrete. I also saw a lot of different species of flowers with different shapes and colors in the picture in my head, but I didn't really consider how someone who couldn't see would experience that. An idea I had was maybe to consider the scent of the flowers or plants, so it could be nice to include some lavender or sweet-smelling basil. I could also research and see what plants attract birds that have enjoyable bird songs. Obviously, these aren't perfect solutions. They're just a few ideas that I'm throwing out as I think of them. I'm sure that in your mind, you probably came up with some other ideas um, that are different from mine. And that's awesome. It is so great to have ideas and to have the passion and initiative to want to help other people and make a difference. But I will tell you that a truly radical idea and one that might seem even a bit unnatural is to just stop trying to solve every problem on your own and instead to go to someone who is differently abled and ask them what they would need to enjoy a park. I had the idea about the pour-in-place rubber or concrete um, as opposed to mulch. Maybe I could go ask someone who actually uses a wheelchair which one of these substances would make it easiest for you to navigate this park. So this was an illustration, but it applies to our infrastructure too, right? We can go to people of color, we can go to non-binary and genderqueer individuals, and we can ask them what they need. And we have the ability as an organization, as a rape crisis agency, to go to people in our community and ask them that also to make our services better for them. So maybe the thought of starting a conversation like that makes you uncomfortable. The truth of the matter is, <laughs> these conversations probably are going to be. There may be things you would like to pursue learning more about on your own, and we are so glad if that is the case. In the description of this episode, we've actually linked to another really great podcast episode about oppression and healing and how that is a collective effort and how we are all impacted by oppression, whether we realize it or not. But when we work together, there's freedom from violence and injustice for everyone. It's a great episode from the Man Enough podcast um, with Alok Van Manon, who is a non-binary poet and activist, and they just have great things to say about compassion. So you should definitely go check that out. It's an awesome starting point. Another big point that we want to make our community aware of is that we are not a political agency at all. SACUS has been supportive of bipartisan legislation and legislation on both sides of the aisle. Um, the only factor that we consider when looking at legislation that we are in support of is if it is survivor-centered, if it's going to be good for survivors across the board. 
Those are the pieces of legislation that we will openly endorse and support. So we know that this time we are living in is one of tension and division in more ways than one. But we are not willing to let any factor keep us from providing the necessary mental health and well-being services that we offer for survivors of sexual violence. The only people who are not eligible to receive our services are offenders, even those who may have also experienced sexual violence. And that is firstly because it is a conflict of interest and because we have a responsibility to protect the healing environment for our clients. And not because we don't think that those individuals also need help, we just can't be the ones to offer it to them. Everyone is welcome here. And we want to make sure that we have policies and standards in place that are informed um, within our agency, which enforce that value. And we want to make sure that everyone feels truly welcomed here. We are in the business of healing. So it's necessary and super important to that healing process for us to make sure that our building and our services aren't contributing any additional trauma to any survivor or significant other that walks through that door. Whether it has to do with sexual assault itself or any combination of trauma that would result from intersecting identities. On our end, a big part of what this looks like is transparency in who we serve and in who we employ. So just going a little bit deeper into who we serve, from 2019 to 2020, 88% of our clientele were white. 4% were Hispanic or Latino. 4% were Black or African American. 3% categorized themselves as falling into a multiracial or other category and 1% identified as Native American. That is obviously not an equally distributed list of diversity, but it is reflective of the racial identities of the population that we serve, which according to the U.S. Census is about 91% white, 4% black, and 2.5% Hispanic. But regardless of the diversity rates in our area, our goal for everyone is still the same. We want those 4% of Hispanic and Black individuals to feel just as believed, just as welcomed, just as valued, and just as worthy of healing as the 88%. And part of making that reality is taking into account and taking informed action based on their identities because they have an effect on them culturally and systematically within everyday life in America. Just because we take time to make sure that we're providing for Hispanic, LGBTQ, Black, Indigenous individuals that we have that come to us um, and seek services doesn't mean that we are taking anything away from the 88% of white people, of cisgender, of heteronormative people that come and seek our services. So part of being survivor-centered in services is accounting for the uniqueness of every individual client and then developing a plan that best serves them with those things in mind. Something unique to our specific agency is that we are actually located down the street from a state university. Thankfully, we get to partner with them in many ways and are able to provide services like counseling and advocacy to students, 
and sexual violence prevention trainings to clubs, Greek organizations, staff, and faculty. As is the nature of any town that is home to a major university, the population and demographics of the area can change quite a bit in the fall and spring when students are living in the area to attend classes, as opposed to the winter and summer breaks when most students return home. So we also want all economic backgrounds to feel welcomed all year round, even during and throughout that change. We want them to know that they are able to receive our services without having to worry about factors of transportation, child care, time off work, time away from school, or any financial impact that healing or pursuing legal action may have. Our services at SACUS are 100% free, and we will work with individuals to meet them where they're at. Some ways we overcome the barrier of transportation, for example, is by offering secure virtual counseling options, providing gas cards for clients, helping them to arrange other methods of transportation, or meeting them at a different confidential location than our main office um, that's closer to them. Because our service area does cover the span of several counties and several towns. Sexual assault can happen to anyone. But at a basic level, we just ask for kindness and compassion here at SACUS. We don't want any client or anyone else who comes in to be afraid to be here because someone might treat them poorly or disregard parts or all of their humanity. That is not beneficial to anyone. We know that hurt people hurt people, but just because someone is in pain or has their own trauma does not give them the authority or go ahead to take that pain out on someone else or to hurt someone else. Pursuing justice for all is far more complicated than it should be but that is only because of the system that we have to work inside of. It requires us to fight for equity. It doesn't just hand it to us. The thing is, you do have some choice in how much of that inequity that you participate in. Some of it is inherent, but you also have a choice in how you navigate that inherent power or privilege that is afforded to you. The empowerment and liberation of women, LGBTQ people, people of color, people with different abilities is something that is good and freeing for everyone, even and especially men. All of our freedom is tied together because we operate under the same system. And I think that that's really all we have to say for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Making Adjustments. We appreciate you, our listeners, and we hope that one thing in this episode got you thinking of how you can learn more or make an adjustment to your own life. If you would like to learn more about SACUS and the services that we offer, you can visit our website at www.sacus.org. That's www.sacis.org. Have a great day and a wonderful August, and we look forward to seeing you next time.